Well, I love the fact that we are gathering in worship, not only physically in person, but digitally around the globe. Now, though you might be traveling or perhaps homesick, some of you, I imagine, have yet to experience community through Bel Air Church. If that's the case, and I mentioned it earlier, after the service, go to our website to belairpress.org backslash next steps to find out how you can experience community with other people who are on the journey with you, whether it's on a Sunday or in your neighborhood throughout the week. May God bless you as you enjoy this service, and I pray that you would take that next step to get deeper in community here at Bel Air Church. And I'm going to dive right in Galatians 3, 15 through 29. I'm going to jump right into the Word so we can get some more time in musical worship and together. And if you don't own a Bible, that red book in front of you is a Bible. We would love for you to have it. It's our gift to you if you don't own one. And if you're online, we're reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It's Galatians 3. The Pew Bible is page 946 and 947. And uh, right before I read this, let me just quickly say, if you haven't listened to Pastor, if you haven't listened to Pastor Kim Dortilly's sermon from last week, you have to. So I, I walked into Kim's office on Wednesday morning. I said, Kim, I'm not over-exaggerating. That was one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. And I've heard thousands of sermons. And there was something about the simplicity and the power and the complexity, which seemed to be mutually exclusive, but were actually all true in that sermon. It was, it was transformative in such significant ways. So if you're online, if you're here, you know that you can catch sermons after the fact. You can go to our website. If you have a, an Apple uh, device, you can, uh, through iTunes or even the podcast app, listen to the Beller Church sermons. You can listen to them. You can watch them. And some of you are listening to this right now, years from now, and that's the great, glorious availability of God's Word through technology. So let me read Galatians 3, verses 15 through 29, and we'll dive right in. The Apostle Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I give an example from daily life. Once a person's will has been ratified, no one adds to it or annuls it. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, as of many, but it says, and to your offspring, that is to one person, who is Christ. My point is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance comes from the law, it no longer comes from the promise, but God granted it to Abraham through the promise. Verse 19, so why then the law? Why all these commands? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring would come to whom the promise had been made. And it was ordained through angels by mediator. Now, a mediator involves more than one party, but God is one. Is the law then opposed to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could make alive, then righteousness would indeed come through the law. But the Scripture has imprisoned all things under the power of sin. So, that what was promised through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
There's no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. It's really clear, right? It makes sense, doesn't it? You know, when I was younger and I read Scripture, uh, as in like five years ago, <laughs> I'd get to these passages, and I still do. I, I still, I get to some passages, and I'm like, what is going on here? A lot of words. I don't understand. This is just, and I, and I, and I move on. But let me tell you, there is some rich treasure here. And if you hang in this moment and allow God's Word to, to open up your heart and mind to something this morning, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. You see, we're in a series right now on a letter that was written to churches in an area called Galatia. That's modern-day Turkey. We refer to it as Galatians, a, a collection of churches. And kind of the, the backstory and the big deal of what's going on is that uh, the Apostle Paul, who has uh, led people to Christ who did not grow up in a, in a Jewish background, who really grew up in a pagan background, uh, now have other leaders coming in, preaching and teaching a very different message. And this incorrect message is not just another form of Christianity. It's not like a different flavor. It's something altogether different. And Paul is furious. He's steaming mad. Because people have have bought into this lie, hook, line, and sinker. And the great truth of who God is through Jesus Christ, they weren't experiencing. Because these false teachers were basically saying, okay, it's fine to believe in Jesus, that's good. But in addition to that, you've got to obey the law. You know, the Ten Commandments. You know, this, that, you know, you got to be circumcised, you got to do this, you got to do, you can't eat this, you can't touch this, you got to do all these things and don't do these things. And if you believe in Jesus, that's great. But if you also do the law, then you'll be saved. Ah, then you'll have peace, then you'll have joy, then you'll have comfort, then you'll experience what God has for you. But it's those two things together. And Paul says, no, that formula is wrong. That's empty, human-made religion. It's not Jesus plus anything, because that actually equals nothing. But the truth is that you believe in Jesus, and through that, that faith, then you'll be saved. Ah, but what about the law? Do we kind of like forget about it? Do we, do we nullify it? Do we, do we add to it? That's what Paul is talking about here. You see, you might have seen as you came in, it's even up there, what's the over-under on the Old Testament? Some of you who play the books are like, oh, I know that metaphor. I've lost a lot of money over the years on the over-under. Well, uh, let me show you an illustration. Uh, teaspoon right here. One of the smallest uh, measurements in cooking, you know, small on a tablespoon, a cup. Uh, uh, I I'm going to give you a statistic of what could fit inside this teaspoon, and I want you to, uh, if you think it's actually over that amount, I want you to raise your hand when I ask, and if you think it's actually under that amount, I'll have you raise your hand. So, uh, when you think about this, uh, this, this spoon, if you were to fill it up with honey, uh, I would say that the honey in that, that little 
teaspoon was actually the life work of ten honeybees. Ten honeybees, their entire life's work, poured out a teaspoon of honey. Do you think in actual fact the true number is over that? Put your hands up. How many of you put your hands up if you think, no, 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 not ten, it's, it's way less than that. Put your hands up if you. Well, it's actually twelve. Next time you, you know, like I do, just, you know, you know, just get that honey all up in, you know, your grill. You just uh, swallowed uh, the life's work of 12 honeybees. Another one. Don't you do that? Yeah, right, so good. Behind closed doors, we just, yeah. Uh, okay, inside a, inside a teaspoon, this is the last one, inside this teaspoon, you can fit 700 million particles of fog you know, like San Francisco? Which, by the way, do you know that, the, what's the name of the fog in San Francisco? It's got a name. What is it? Carl. Do you follow Carl on social media? It's the funniest account. Like, he is, like, so funny and witty. Anyway, go follow him. Uh, how many particles of Carl can fit in this teaspoon? Uh, uh, let's say 700 million particles. Uh, how many of you think it's over that in actuality? Put your hands up. Uh, how many of you what? A teaspoon of Carl? No. It's less than 700 million particles. Put your hands up. Well, 7 billion. 7 billion particles of, of fog can fit in a teaspoon. You see, uh, this is a fun game. You know, you guess uh, jelly beans. You, you, know, you guess these things. And actually, there's, there's a massive multi-tens of billions industry that around the year place bets on events. There's the over and under of how long the, uh, the national anthem's going to go. Uh, you know, the over and under on the, the line for the total score of the, the baseball game, the basketball game, all these different things. And, and people will either say, okay, whatever the line is, I'm going to believe that it's actually going to be over that, so I'm going to put my money on that. Or some people say, no, 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 it's not going to end up. The, the defense is too strong. It's going to end up lower than that. And they put their money on those things. So the question that I have for us is, what's the over under on the Old Testament? Because if you get this wrong, you're going to lose everything. I really mean that. You know, some of us, we, uh, we, we put too much weight. We, we, we over, overshoot its value. Though I think that the majority of us actually under better lives on the Old Testament. How many of you have ever heard the phrase or even said it yourself, oh, I love the God of the New Testament, but the Old Testament? No, no, I don't like that God. Anybody? Say that, hear that. You've heard it before. You're like, well, I don't say those things, right? <laughs> I think them, but I don't say them out loud, of course. Um, what's fascinating is the Apostle Paul is trying to counteract some false teaching where they're saying you've got to do all these things in addition to believing in Jesus. And the way he counteracts it is he begins to talk about the Old Testament. He begins to talk about the law. He begins to talk about this thing called the promise. Let's take a look real quick. Open those Bibles back up. Galatians 3, 15. And this is what he says. Verse 15, brothers and sisters, I give an example from daily life. Once a person's will, now the Greek language here, which is the language of the New Testament, the, the word there is covenant. We don't use covenant language very much here in the United States. We talk about contracts. 
but he's talking about something that is very ancient and, and true, and we'll get to it in a moment, but he's saying this. Uh, once a covenant has been made, no one adds to it or annuls it. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. I'll just pause right there. He then goes on to say, the law that came, you know, the Ten Commandments and all these things of how we're supposed to live, they came after the promise. Well, what's the promise? Well, if you go back, and maybe you will today, if you go look at Genesis 12, for example, or you can read about it in Genesis 13, or, or even Genesis 17, or even in Genesis 24, basically God shows up, and he, and he promises something to this guy named Abram. In Genesis 12, he's 75 years old. He's never had kids. And here's the promise. He says, I'm going to bless you. Your offspring is going to be so numerous. I know you don't have any kids right now, and you've been infertile, and 75 is not like 75 in 2018, but 75 thousands of years ago is like ancient, ancient, ancient. But you're going to have so many offspring. It's going to be more than all the stars that you can see in the sky. And here's what's going to be amazing. I'm going to bless you, God says. That's the promise. I'm going to bless you, and through your offspring... All the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, let me just pause for a moment and, and address blessed for a moment because we use this word and it's so, you know, popular right now, blessed, 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 uh, and dare I say hashtag blessed. I mean, it's like this thing that actually a lot of the world is making fun of Christians right now because we, uh, you know, we get a good parking spot and we're like, oh, I'm so blessed, and we tweet about it and, you know, it's on Snapchat because, you know, it's like, it's like this thing. Um, now, here's what's interesting. The majority of people who use the word blessings are actually using a cheapened version of what the Bible defines as a blessing. Let me say that again. Uh, most time when we say the word, that's a blessing, or gosh, I feel so blessed, in actual fact, we are using a very cheapened version of truly what a blessing is. Because in Scripture, the word blessing in the Hebrew language, which is the language of the Old Testament, is this deep, rich, magnificent, almost mind-blowing definition of an experience of God. Tasting, touching, feeling, seeing what the creator of the cosmos says is best for you. It's never anything less than that. And when we get so amped that, you know, we got the shoe that we really wanted. <laughs> or our kids got in the school that we didn't think they'd get in. If we don't connect that to actually being an experience of God, it's actually just a distraction. Because we can get so caught up in the blessings, the things that we miss, the blesser, the one who's given it to us. We can get so distracted on all these things and focus on these things that we're actually missing out on the, the main purpose where God says, I want to do life with you. I want to enjoy these things and these relationships and the heartaches, all these, I want to enjoy them with you. You see, a blessing is realizing every single thing in your life, good, neutral, and bad, is actually something that can draw you deeper into a relationship with God. That can actually show you 
that nothing else on the planet can really give you comfort. Nothing else on the planet can really give you peace or joy or satisfaction or significance. Some of you are in stage four cancer and are saying, I am so blessed to have to go through this burden. Oh, you understand blessing. Because you are experiencing God in a deep, powerful, transformative way. You think about Jane Catherine Wolf. How many of you were here that week when Catherine preached? She would say, first and foremost, that her life is blessed. Well, how does she say that? It's because she understands what a blessing really is. And when you begin to understand this, when you begin to realize these things, actually, you're going to really enjoy peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Because not only are they good, but actually you can trace all the way up to the God that provides it to you that says in Isaiah that one day there's going to be this great feast on the mountaintop where God's going to wipe away every tear. That that, that that peanut butter and jelly sandwich is just a shadow of the ultimate feast that we're going to have in God's presence for all of eternity. You see, the more we begin to open up God's word, Actually, blessings can really be blessings because it's the thing and it's the relationship with God and we can see through it to this great cosmic eternal reality and our mind is blown. But if we just think it's the things, it's just this huge distraction. So basically, God is promising, Abram, I'm going to bless you. You're going to experience me. You're going to see me. You're going to experience rescue. You're going, to, you're going to feel what it's like to be provided for and cared for and taken care of. And all these things you've experienced are nothing compared to this life. And not only that, the whole world, all the nations are going to be blessed through your offspring. And what's so amazing in Genesis 15, Abram does what uh, maybe you or I would do. He says, well, well how will I know? That's what I love. In Scripture, there's people that have doubts. There's people that have fears. There's people that question God just like we do, and there's permission. He says, well, how will I know that you're going to be good for your word? How will I know that I'm going to experience you, even through the valleys of the shadows of death? How will I know? And what does God do? See, this is those moments where you might hear it and say, that's weird, and you might rush on because this is what God does. He says, I want, to get, I want you to get a heifer cow. I want you to get a goat. I want you to get a ram. Uh, I want you to get a turtle dove, and I want you to get a pigeon. And what does Abraham do? He gets them, and he cuts them in half. Now, how many of you are like, that's cool. I'm into that. Like, that's my life first for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, how many of you have seen that on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker? <laughs> you know, like, hashtag blessed. You know, I cut a turtle dove in two. Like, what? You know, like. You see, we can rush past these things and say, there's no value in this. This is, this, is, this is weird. This is pointless. Just let me get to what's really important. In those moments, you are undervaluing what I'll get to in a moment, this thing that God has for you. But let me take a step back. In that moment, what's so fascinating is that God just says, go get these things, five things, five animals. He doesn't say cut them in half. But Abraham goes and gets them, and he cuts them in half. And then God goes on. So apparently there's something that's going on that is kind of normal. And actually, if you read the history books, that back then, this is how they made covenants with one another. 
This is before we signed documents. This is before a notary. This is before DocuSign. And you might look at that culture and say, that's weird. Do you know that there's a lot of cultures that look at us and say, that's weird. They spend money on those things. They do things that way. They say they value those things. That's odd. Let's be careful and not have a cultural arrogance and look out on the rest of culture or a historical arrogance and say, that, you know, that's so backwards back then. You see, at that time, this is how they made promises, and this is what the meaning was. They would cut these animals in two, and this is, this is not God's heart at all because we actually see in the beginning of Scripture that God says, you've got to take care of animals. You've got to care for creation. And in the brokenness, society had begun making promises this way. And so God meets the people where they are in their brokenness, in the ways that they made promises with one another. And they make a promise to one another. And the symbolism was this. If I don't live up to my end of the bargain, may I be cut in two like these animals. That was the meaning. That was the significance. That was the symbolic gesture. You know, if I don't live up to it, may I be torn in two? May I be cut off? But here's what's amazing. Every time people would make these vows, these covenants with one another, both parties would have to walk in between the, the animals. Weird, broken. And each party would walk back and forth saying, this is my promise to you. Then the other person would walk back and forth and say, this is my promise to you. And that's what always happened. That's just how things were done. We got it a lot easier these days, right? That's not what happens here. In Genesis 15, God never allows Abraham to walk through those pieces. That was a shock for Abraham. And as you get to know this story, I hope that it's a shock to you because this is what God is saying. He causes Abraham to fall into this great trance. Everything goes dark, and all of a sudden there's this flaming pot that symbolizes God's presence that literally passes through the pieces while God's voice says, this is my promise to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you. And through your offspring, all the world will be blessed through you. God is saying, if I don't live up to my end of the bargain, may I be torn in two. But then here's what's amazing. It happens again. God goes in between the pieces on behalf of Abraham. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, if you don't live up to your end of the bargain, Abraham, if you are unfaithful, if you turn your back on me, May I be torn in two, God says. You know what that means? Right hidden in this weird story about animals is grace. God has always been about grace. God says, I'm good for my word. And if not, rip me apart. And if you're not going to be good for your word, I'm not going to rip you in part, rip me in part. And that's one thing for God to say that. It's another thing for God to carry it out, and that's what he did. You know what Scripture says when Jesus was on the cross? He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, the prophecy about Jesus would be that he would be cut off from the land of the living. Isaiah 53 says that he would be crushed for our iniquities. 
that he would be crucified outside the city gates. Do you realize that on the cross, that God fulfilled his promise in our disobedience, in our unfaithfulness, in our sin, in all of our ways, we turn our back to God. God says, I'm true to my word. You turned away, so now I'm going to be torn in two. And he was. And in doing that, he defeated death. So that with empty hands of faith, you would receive by faith this blessing that comes through the offspring of Abraham. You see, what's so interesting about the English language is the word offspring can be plural or singular, right? You know, if you have one kid, that's your offspring. If you have like 18 grandkids, that's also your offspring. And Paul is trying to make the point here that in the, the Hebrew language, in the Greek language, that word for offspring that is part of God's promise is one person. Yes, on one hand, God's going to make a people and he's always going to be faithful to that people, the nation of Israel. But out of that lineage, there's going to be one person. His name is Jesus from Nazareth. And through faith and trust in him, all the promises, all the security, all the joy, all the inheritance will be given to all who believe. And so here's what's amazing. Paul is saying to this group of people, here's the equation. You believe in Jesus through faith. And as a result, you will be saved. And now out of that saving relationship, out of the overflow of that, obey. This is how you're supposed to forgive your enemies. This is what you're supposed to do when you get bitter. Here's how you navigate when someone wrongs you. Here's what you do when the last thing on earth you want to do is show up and be kind. Here's, here's what you do. But now here's what's amazing. When it comes out of the overflow of a grace-filled gift of a relationship from God through Jesus, now how you live, how you live out all these commands, all these things, you can actually do it with joy, knowing that when you make a mistake... Oh, because you'll make a mistake. I make a mistake. The Apostle Paul says, gosh, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Gosh, we're all going to mess up. And now you don't have the pressure, the anxiety that you've done enough for God to save you. But out of the overflow of that relationship, you can now live and love and care for all these people. That was just one story of thousands in the Hebrew Scripture that all point to Jesus. St. Augustine said it this way, that the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. You see, in this text, Paul is saying, okay, there's been a covenant, there's been a promise. You don't take away from it, nor do you add to it. So what he's saying is, don't take away all of what God did and said in the Old Testament. Nor should you think that the New Testament is just adding on to or a plan B. But in actual fact, the New Testament is the culmination of all of this great and glorious, beautiful history. You see, earlier on and before the students came in, I gave this illustration of, you know, how many uh, particles of Carl, is that the fog in San Francisco, you know, could fit in? And, and we know that it's seven billion particles and the over and under that we had there. Now, I haven't given you the over and under value for the Old Testament. So you're like, I I'm tracking, but you got to give me the line so I can say if it's over or under. Let me give you a word of the value of the Old Testament, the value of the Hebrew Scriptures. 
infinite. Infinite. Unquantifiable. Can't be measured. Not even a metaphor can come close. Some of us, many of us, maybe most of us, we live our lives betting on an undervalued approach to the Hebrew Scriptures. You know what Jesus said after His resurrection? He walks with some people on the way to Emmaus, and He opens up their mind, He opens up their heart, and He shows them all the things in the Law and the Prophets, the Hebrew Scriptures, all the things that are all about Him. Do you know there's not one word out of place, not one story that points to Jesus? And the reason we don't know that is because we're so rushed, we're so busy, we're so distracted with the blessings from God that we miss out on this great and glorious, rich, amazing truth. Here's an exercise that I have for you. Why don't you open up your, uh, your bulletins on the inside? There's uh, a little exercise. You can see this maybe before your head hits the pillow today. You'll notice uh, it says a number of things, Isaiah 53. If you were to open that up, and again, if you don't own a Bible, take one of those with you. It's our gift to you. But if you were to open up on the left side there in your bulletin, if you were to read Isaiah 53, written, gosh, thousand years plus before Jesus walked this earth, this great prophecy, something phenomenal to share with your Jewish neighbors and friends and coworkers, Isaiah 53. Jewish friends in your life know this, this passage, Isaiah 53. And then if you read those New Testament verses, I think there's Matthew and John and 1 Peter, if you were to read those, all of a sudden you're going to see how these New Testament truths are revealing that Isaiah 53, that Old Testament prophecy. And all of a sudden as you read Isaiah 53, all those New Testament verses are going to make sense in a deeper and a richer way. And when you read those New Testament verses, the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, will get more and more rich and more and more deep. In fact, you can do this with all of Scripture. Because all of Scripture is infinitely valuable. It's infinitely true. Infinitely beautiful and pure and joyous. Infinitely instructive. Infinitely hopeful. Every single word. You see, Scripture says that all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. Not one word is out of place. Even the crazy stories about the bears. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's a weird story. And yet actually, the more we sit with it, the more we submit to God's Word, we begin to see that this is actually a picture that God wants us to see about His love for us and His grace and His truth and His mercy and His justice. And Jesus is right there at the center of it all. In the first four words of Scripture, we get our first picture of Jesus. Did you know that? What are the first four words of Scripture? In the beginning, right there. You're like, no, 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 no that's God. That's not Jesus. They're spelled different. Oh, did you know that the Hebrew word for God is Elohim? Did you know that the Hebrew word Elohim is a plural word? 
Oh, what? It's a plural word? Are we like Hindu? Like, do we believe in multiple? Are we like polytheistic? No, because Scripture also says that God is one. Wait, okay, so Hebrew understanding of God is that it's a community of one? Yes. And we describe that community of one as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. In fact, right there in the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. What's the most used metaphor to describe Jesus? Light. The light of the world. In him there is no darkness in all. Friends, if you just open up the Old Testament, Jesus is everywhere. But you can't just discover that on your own. I can't discover that on my own. I, I need community. I need people to teach me, to equip me, for me to ask questions. And I hope that you would choose to get into life groups, that you would get into the grow hour before this, that you would get into these places, so that you would ask questions. In fact, we're even going to launch, it says in the bulletin, an opportunity for you to learn how to teach other people the Bible. That there would be coworkers, friends, family, even places here where you could actually not only know the Bible, but be able to teach it. A little preview. We'll give you more information in the months ahead. But Bella, we've got an opportunity. To have the right understanding of all of Scripture and its infinite value. My hope and my prayer is that as we continue to lean into what God is doing, that it will be God's Word that guides us. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank You for this moment. And as we respond in worship, would it be You that we focus on, a God that is more infinitely, majestically beautiful and valuable than we could ever wrap our mind around? So, God, in these moments, we try to put into words our love for you. May it simply come from a response to who you are. And, God, I pray that anyone here who is yet to believe in you, Jesus, that they would hear the words of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his son. So that they would not perish, but that they would have everlasting life. God, we thank you that you are a God that loves. You are a God that gives. You are a God that is faithful and true even when we're not. God, we thank you that you've gone to all the links that you've gone to to rescue us, to redeem us. So may we respond in worship. And maybe some of us today, for the first time, would we lift up empty hands of faith and hold on to you and your promise to give us life, life to the full. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray and we say together.